Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jillian Stavajinsky. I am the new Civic Journalism Vista at Civic Lex. It's nice to meet you all. We haven't done this in a while, uh, but it's nice to be back. We won't start posting on a regular basis, but no worries. The Civic Lex podcast will post intermittently. Today, we'll be walking through primary voting based on our first voting workshop of 2022. This workshop was led by our programmatic director, Megan Gullah. Primary voting, as of right now, is scheduled to be held on May 17 from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., with the early voting dates set for May 12th, 13th, and the 14th, with the times to be decided at a later date. This is the week before Election Day. The purpose of primary voting is for voters to narrow down the pool of candidates from each office in preparation for the general elections. The Fayette Urban County offices hold nonpartisan positions in county council, mayoral, and council-at-large offices. Anyone can vote for these positions in the primary, regardless of their party affiliation. There are also judicial positions open for voting, which is nonpartisan as well. Fayette County residents may also vote for constable, sheriff, county attorney, and county judge. These are partisan offices, so you may only vote for your party candidates in this section of the primaries. That is all for our local elections this year. Now let's take a stroll through Lexington to see what people know about voting in our local elections. Do you know where your polling locations or where to find your polling locations this year? I mean, you can look them up online. Uh, yeah, I, I usually just check online. No, I don't. Are you registered yet to vote? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not sure. This is my first year being able to vote. I just turned 19. So. Do you know who's running for the primaries this election? I do not. Uh, no. No idea. No. I just moved here over the summer, so I don't really okay. know how it all works. But I don't. I, I go to school here, so this is my first semester down here. By the way, I'm not asking folks these questions as a gotcha moment, but more as a way to gauge how many people in Lexington really need this information to vote. And don't worry, I gave them the resources afterwards. You can also go to the website with all of these resources, including how to register at lex.vote, L-E-X dot V-O-T-E. In February, Megan Gullah interviewed our city's county clerk, Don Blevins, to give us answers on some uncertainties in the upcoming election. You can also check out the full interview on lex.vote by hovering over the Election Essentials tab and clicking on More Resources. Here's a clip from Megan's interview with Blevins on the issue of absentee ballots for those who are eligible, including students. What do you think people need to know about the primaries and voting in the primaries? I think we covered registration a lot in that presentation, um, but we didn't get um, to the like the actual like what do people do when they're trying to go to polls? I think it's important that that folks understand the complexity that we're about to undergo. Uh, last year, the legislature dramatically changed how we're going to vote. So legislature means a group with the authority to make laws for a public entity such as a country or city. It is one of the three branches of government along with the executive branch and the judicial branch. This includes the Senate, the House, and different assemblies. Kentucky's legislature has been making many changes in regards to how we vote. This is what Blevins is referring to, but he'll tell you about some of those changes. So. We're back to normal, so to speak, with absentee ballots for the most part. Uh, you can you can get one of those by mail, asking for it through the portal, just like we did in 2020. However, we're going back to the rules now where you have to have an excuse to get an absentee ballot. So age, uh, illness, or, or um, disability are, are the, the main three. Can I jump in for a second? Because there was a question. Um, somebody had said, like, they are not um, immunocompromised. They don't have any, like, they can't 
or I'm sorry, like their partner has a health exemption, but they do not, but they were still concerned about going to vote in person. Are they able to get an exemption to vote absentee or not? I think technically the, the person that has the immune compromised condition, that's an illness. Mm -hmm. So they would qualify. The partner does not. Mm -hmm. so, so you would have to go in. Yeah, yeah there, our rules in Kentucky are pretty restrictive. Mm -hmm. um, and another question we had from the workshop, um, someone had asked about students who are in school, like in colleges um, outside of Kentucky or Kentucky residents, they would just need to file as an absentee, like a mail-in absentee, correct? correct? That process would be the same as it, as it has been. Right. Actually, students in, in this state have two options. If you're, uh, let's say that you're in Louisville going to UofL but you live in Lexington you have two choices you can register in Louisville and vote there or you can get your absentee ballot from your home precinct back here in Lexington mm -hmm. same goes for kids from out of state can register to vote here and mm -hmm. then vote here because that's their legal voting residence okay but you got to choose one or the other not both yeah you can't vote both. <laughs> that's bad don't do that We'll now be going into Megan and County Clerk Blevins' discussion on early voting. So early voting dates will be available to everyone with no excuse needed thanks to House Bill 574. County Clerk Blevins was considering using schools for voting, but that idea has since fallen through and he will be looking for other locations. We promise you'll know your voting location before early voting begins. Stay up to date on the County Clerk website at FayetteCountyClerk.com and Lex.vote. The other change is that we no longer have in-person excused absentee voting. This is for people who are going to be out of the county on election day. Back in the day, that's the way it worked. And so you could come in and vote in my office typically, knowing that you were going to be out of town on election day. That That is now gone. We're going to have early voting. Uh, that's going to happen on the Thursday, the Friday, and the Saturday prior to election day. And this is no excuse early voting, so anyone can do it. And then finally, we're going to have a normal election day as well. So how do we do that in Fayette County? What facilities will we need and so forth? So I'm going to zoom in on the early voting because that's the problem that's going to be really difficult to solve. If you look at other states that have done early voting, uh, first of all, you should know that it does not increase turnout. This is merely a convenience. Kentucky has the shortest period of early voting in the entire nation. We only have three days. The next closest state is Oklahoma, and they have five days. And then after that is 10 days all the way to as high as as many as 40 days. So you can see that the states that normally do or have been doing early voting for the most part opt for at least two weeks or more uh, to spread out over time how many voters are going to do this. In Fayette County, we're going to vote probably anywhere from 40 to 60 percent of the turnout will want to do early voting. That's not a small number of people. So uh, for this election, the turnout will probably be not too strong, at least traditionally it's not. But when we get into a presidential year, that's gonna be very difficult to, to solve. So this year, doing, doing the math, I think that if I was to try and use libraries and, and the like, I would need about 20 of those locations. There aren't 20. They're just too small and there's not enough of them. Plus. My staff, we're only staffed to build a normal election day. We're not staffed right now for doing early voting at all. That doesn't mean we can't do it 
we, we can only do zero, but it does mean we don't have unlimited resources to go out here and recruit 20 different locations and then manage the logistics and the personnel there. Further, I'm pretty well convinced we would struggle to get enough election officers to do 20 locations. So if I can't use uh, sort of normal government buildings, what other options do we have? Well, the legal requirements for voting locations are that they be ADA accessible, need to have some good security, need to have good parking. And so the only thing that will probably work in terms of early voting is to use the schools. Mm -hmm. So that's currently what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, this is not approved by the, uh, the local county board of elections yet, so this is all just talk, but it would look something like this. We use all six high schools and we use a strategically picked four middle schools so that we get a, a geographic spread around the city. Mm -hmm. Because of the gyms and the size of these schools, I know that I can get a lot more people through there to vote than I could in, say, Tate's Creek Library like we did last time. So together, only 10 schools are necessary to get this done. And I, my staff at least thinks they can manage that. Mm -hmm. So that's the current proposal and why and how we got to that proposal. And I want you to know, and I want all the parents who are coming at me with pitchforks and torches, that this is not my first choice either, uh, but we're left with almost no other choice. That's mm -hmm. just, this is how we have to do it if we're going to have a, a true early voting. I'm working with the legislature to try and get a, a tweak to a law mm -hmm. so that we can leave the elementary schools open when we do this. Since I'm only using high and middle schools, mm -hmm. there's no reason why the elementary shouldn't be able to stay, stay open. But we're trying to fix that so that the school system can at least keep the elementary schools open. That, and I'm going to try to get it changed to where they can use non-traditional instruction for middle and high schools so that I'm only closing the schools for election day and not all the other couple of days for early voting, purposes of early voting. Now we'll hear a few more uncertainties about when Lexington will hold primary elections. The Kentucky Legislature has the ability to make changes that impact primary and general elections at any time. And there are a few bills in legislature that have an emergency clause, meaning the governor can sign them at any time and change the voting date. As of right now, the Kentucky Legislature is scheduled to adjourn on April 14th. So we might be able to know about Election Day changes by then, but to quote County Clerk Blevins, anything can happen. As of right now, we're still betting on May 17th, 2022. So get ready. Can you explain, um, is it uh, like the bills that are in the House right now, or is it House Bill 2 or Senate Bill 2? Um, what is the one that affects candidate filing and redistricting? Um, how is that going and is that going to be pushed back? I, I are we looking think, at August or when are we looking at that? I think that the reason, the reasoning behind that bill, and I, I doubt it's moved at all, I think it's just being held in place until it, it's needed, is that should a court challenge occur and should it be successful, they're going to have to have a way for candidates to then go back and file in, in the old districts, if you will, rather than the newly created ones. So that's what the purpose of the bill is. And to do that, they would have to push back the primary into August to give us all time to do this rearranging. Are we, what, are, what do they think, exact, I guess, about it? Because we're getting into sort of primary season. How, is there a cutoff deadline for when, like, if it hasn't been decided by the state, then they're going with the May 17th voting day or? That's a really great question. Uh, I think um, no one knows the answer to mm -hmm. that. Uh, we'll have to see how the court system plays out. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the legislature doesn't meet forever. They have Sendai at some point, so they're going to have to, you know, 
if they're going to pass a bill, it has to be before the end of this current General Assembly. Mm -hmm. So is everyone for the primaries, everyone's just going with May 17th date for now, for now until well, we hear more. As, okay. as a clerk, I have to assume we're going then and mm -hmm. prepare for it in that way. We're okay. already a little late. Um, I'd hope to get the legislature to change the election law to accommodate some longer period of time mm -hmm. for early voting so that I could use the libraries again but they've indicated they're unwilling to do that. So now I'm going to my school solution, but that's put us back behind about a, two weeks in recruiting uh, election officers. So mm -hmm. we're gonna have to get after it the next couple of weeks. Now that we've covered the uncertainties, here are some things that have been set in stone for sure. This clip is about new voting technology, the lawful requirement of paper ballots for improved security, precincts, provisional ballots, and a new electronic sign-in at your voting location on election day. So I want to talk a little bit about the difference between voting centers and voting precincts. Blevins and I both mention voting precincts, but we don't explain it, and I know they're both important concepts to understand. So a voting precinct is just a way to Create a set of neighborhoods so that you can designate specific polling locations for that set of neighborhoods. For example, if you lived in northern Lexington, you would be voting somewhere in northern Lexington in a location that's designated specifically for where you live. You wouldn't be voting in southern Lexington. But vote centers kind of go against that, uh, and they're non-traditional. But that's not a bad thing. Basically, vote centers allow anybody in a jurisdiction, in our case, it would be Fayette County, to vote anywhere in that jurisdiction. So we kind of did that in 2020, but we only had one location. We had Kroger Field, and it was the height of COVID quarantine. So everybody was allowed to go to Kroger Field and place their vote, even if they were in District 12. I'm not sure if we're going to be seeing that this year, but it's certainly legal in Kentucky. But look out for that. We might we might be seeing that. I know that Kroger Field will be a voting location in May, uh, but I'm not exactly sure if we're going to be doing voting centers specifically. So just be sure to keep an eye out for that. You will definitely be seeing information on that before early voting begins. With um, with where people would vote um, just on, on election day, um, we're not going to have the voting centers like we did in, in 2020, correct? Where no. they precinct. That's another fairly complicated thing to do. It turns out to do a voting center, you have to have every possible ballot face at the voting center. When we purchased our machines back in 2020, we anticipated the old way of doing elections and that we would pre-print our ballots. So we don't have, there's some machines you can buy that print ballots on demand, but we don't have those. So we have to pre-print all of ours. So to have a vote center, say at Rep Arena, let's call it, I would have to have every possible ballot face there and the way we do elections in Kentucky, that means one for there, there's at least one ballot face for every precinct. Mm -hmm. Well, we have 286 precincts. You're going to have a D, an R, and an independent ballot mm -hmm. for the primary. So it's 286 times three possible ballots. Well, that's kind of difficult to manage unless you're in something like a rep arena. If we're at a library, you got to have enough tables just to spread out the ballots. I mean, it's going to consume a third of the room just having all the ballots laid out. Mm -hmm. So we won't be doing vote centers here. Mm -hmm. What we will be doing is having, like we used to do, a location with, say, three precincts in it. Sure. And all three precincts will share a, um, a scanner 
Uh, this is also new. I forgot to mention this. Our new machines are here and most people haven't had a chance to use them. So we're going to be voting on paper and you feed your, your ballot into a, a scanner and off you go. So that'll be new this time as well. But as a result, we can use one scanner for, for say three precincts and it saved us a lot of money doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's super fascinating. But by the way, it's now a requirement in this state that you use paper only. Uh, the state board of elections voted that in i believe in 2020 huh, so you can great. no longer use electronic machines anyway are there are there any issues with like the you know like in the hanging chads like in 2000 I, i'm assuming that that issue is not you know like that's not no gonna be we won't have that uh, the hanging chads were because those ballots were used with perforations mm -hmm. so the the little piece of hanging paper is called the chad mm -hmm. uh, here we're going to use the the kind like you do for a test you fill it in gotcha. with a pen and fill in the bubble mm -hmm. That's really cool. There's one other thing. Um, mm -hmm. Most people haven't seen these either. We're going to use for the first time countywide here. Uh, in the old days, you used to sign the roster book when you got ready to mm -hmm. vote. And that's how we kept track of who had already voted. And it was a big paper roster. Now we're going to use what are called electronic poll books. And what, what we'll ask people to do is come in and have your driver's license. It'll scan the barcode on your driver's license, pull you up as a voter confirm that you haven't voted yet and that you're in the correct precinct. And then it'll tell us which ballot to give you, hand you your piece of paper and off you go. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be really a lot faster to yeah, vote nice. this time. Sufficient. Do you know if people, um, if you show up to a voting precinct and say that's not your precinct, um, you're still gonna be able, you can request a provisional ballot, correct? Or uh, Only when there's a federal election on the ballot. And mm -hmm. I, I'd have to go look, I don't, I'm not sure if, yeah, there is. There's a federal election on the ballot. So yes, you could, mm -hmm. but what's probably better is we will tell you where your precinct is and you should go over there and vote. Mm -hmm. uh, provisional ballots uh, rarely work. Most of the time it's a person that wasn't registered to begin with and they wanna vote, so they do. And then those come back to the office here and the County Board of Elections looks at every single one and determines whether that person was eligible to vote. And if they were, like say an election officer made a mistake or something, we'll, we'll count the provisional ballot, but it's only for the federal races. It doesn't qualify for state and local. Mm -hmm. So best thing you can do is make sure your registration is up to date. When we get closer to time, we'll be telling you exactly which schools and where, uh, we'll talk about voting locations. Uh, I will probably need to send out um, postcards or something to most voters mm -hmm. just to tell you where you're going to vote on election day. We've had a change, like I told you at the start, we had to change some precincts. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll probably be, we always have to move a few precincts around to new locations because uh, a church is undergoing remodeling or something like that. So we can't use it this year. Those kinds of things always happen. So we'll be moving around but closer to time voters should be watching for the um, sample ballots mm -hmm. uh, once we've got the ballots ready you can actually pull it up on the website on my website you can pull up your sample ballot and see who all you can vote for mm -hmm. that's kind of nice so that you go in informed before you even walk into the polling mm -hmm. location so those kinds of things will come up later in time Right. So should people mostly be focusing on just registering, make sure the registration is up to date right now and just look out for those postcards from your office? Correct. Like, yeah. You've got to be careful with registration, though. Uh, mm -hmm. If you change your party affiliation, you won't be able to vote in the primary except for the independent races mm -hmm. uh, because you're supposed to have your party set by the December 31st of the prior year. Mm -hmm. So if you're already registered, don't don't fool with it. But if you're not registered at all, for sure, go ahead and register for the first time and you'll be eligible to vote in the partisan primary. Or if your address has changed or anything like that, just make sure. If your address has changed, uh, you can go on on the uh, 
gov i think it is mm -hmm. uh and change your change your address that'd be good to do but just don't change your party because that'll invalidate you again be sure to register and if you need to get your address changed on lex.vote to ensure that you get your sample ballot in your postcard with voting information if you want to get in touch with county clerk don blevins call 859-253-3344 you'll get a menu of options to reach someone. They are also still looking for volunteer election officers for early voting and on election day. Call 859-253-3344 if you want to get signed up for that. That's all for our first episode of the Civic Lex podcast, Lex Vote 2022 edition. Be sure to email us at info at to tell us you're listening and give us any feedback you might have. Tell your friends and go get ready to vote. Thank you.